So you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get those Z's. And if you need to snooze, we'd much rather you did it at home in your warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on this Sunday Morning Sleep-In Podcast. You're still going to miss out on some things we think are pretty important about being at church, which is community, mostly. Community and food. Mm-hmm. And music, but community. Yeah. Uh, we can't give you that through a microphone, but we will give you what we can. I'm Susan Foster. And I'm Chris Marshall. And we're United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts, perfect preachers, homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're just your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions each week. We started the podcast, so if you're away from home or working or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon we gave on a Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we want you to receive it with an open mind and an open heart. And a quick note, we encourage you to think your own thoughts. We don't really care if you agree with us all the time or not. We are hoping that these podcasts will be a springing off point for discussions that you can have with your own loved and trusted people. And that as you are thinking about it, our sincere hope is that you'll experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life. And so this week, we hope you'll consider this. So Chris, we're on step eight in our sermon series based on the book, Breathing Underwater, Spirituality in the 12 Steps. Yep, absolutely. And so we have been working through all those things. And I started out this week by saying something that you said last week and reminded me that I needed to say it was that whole thing about how each step isn't just going to take you a week. Right. It takes a little longer than this that. Is, the, the 12 steps, there's not a 12-week program to, to a new you. It's it's a lot longer than that and a lot more significant than that. Yeah. And, well, and some of the things are going to come more naturally to some people than others. Mm-hmm. You know, And so you might take a lot of time on step four. Your friend might breeze through it. Don't worry about it. They're going to get stuck on step seven. Right. You know, right. like everybody's going to do this in their own time. Well, and that there's depth and breadth to each of these steps that we need to be thinking about, right? Absolutely. Like, like to do it at the surface level is not also to our benefit. So, yeah. And there's an order, but it's okay to go back and say, you know what? I thought I had worked out step three, but I actually need to go back and work on that one some more. Yeah. I need to do that evaluation a little bit better. Yeah. To, yeah, totally. So step, do we want to go over all the steps? Or are we? We are going to buzz through them. If you okay. want to know more about these steps, we encourage you to go back in the archive of the podcast or pick up the book. But the archive of the podcast, you can find at sundaymorningsleepin.com or on Facebook or on SoundCloud or really anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah. And you can go back and hear a longer description of each of these steps, but we'll just give you the steps themselves right now. So the first one is we admitted we were powerless against our addiction and our lives had become unmanageable. And step two is that um, there we came to realize that there is a higher power that can return us to sanity. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God as we understood God. And step four is to take a deep and searching inventory of ourselves. Step five, we admitted to God, ourselves, and one other human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And step six is that we're entirely ready to have God remove our defects of character. And then last time on the podcast, it was step seven. We humbly asked God to remove these shortcomings. And so we talked about what is prayer and why do we why do we have to ask? The way that I talked about this on Sunday was we've spent seven weeks mm-hmm. or seven steps talking about how do we learn better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this step, my people were so excited. 
there was something to do. <laughs> now they can learn how to do better. So it takes a long time to kind of get your head in the right space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good description. And now we're about to start to do not just the vertical work between us and God and, and, and our internal work, but also our work with other people, that horizontal work. work. Right. Right. And I actually talked about that later in my sermon, not at the beginning, but talking about the, as Richard War says, the geometry of the cross right. and, and really talking about how this is all, all those other seven steps have really been about our relationship with God mm-hmm. um, and that, that vertical thing. And now, now we go horizontal. Now right. we go into the depth of what we've been doing with people. So and step eight, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and... We didn't immediately go out and talk to them. Nope, nope. Nope, we're not there yet. That's step Mm -hmm. nine. We became willing to make amends to them all. Yeah. We became Became willing. willing. And that's a a movement. People know when you're doing an insincere apology. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you think that you're actually right, that you were actually the victim, and you go into an apology, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for you. It's not going to work work for them. them. Um, We have pretty sensitively tuned BS detectors in this Mm -hmm. day and age. Yeah. And so becoming willing to be sincere in an Mm -hmm. apology often takes a little little bit of emotional, psychological work. Well, because oftentimes we have to get past past our our defenses, right? Mm -hmm. Previous steps have talked about resistances and those kinds of things. And this is exactly where the rubber hits the road on that. Yeah. Because when we come to an apology and all we can say is, I'm sorry, you felt that way. Yeah. Oof. That's not really an apology, folks. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. So. And we think this is important, not just to a recovery process where you're in recovery from an addiction, a physical addiction. It's also important when you realize that one of your own thought patterns or or behavior patterns mm-hmm. or habits has been affecting other people for a long time. Yeah. It's okay. Or even to for say, a short time. Or even for a short time to be able to say like, oh, you know what? This is not just something that hurts me. Mm-hmm. This is something that has affected my relationships with other people that have affected other people. And I'm willing to, to own that. Yeah. And that's why that willing thing is so important. Mm-hmm. This is nothing you can get to before you're ready. And this is nothing that works before you're ready. Absolutely. So when Richard Rohr talks about the geometry of the cross, that there's this this upward movement between us and God, but there's also this outward movement. Mm-hmm. Our relationships with other people, the scriptures today are really about before you kind of let yourself off the hook because God's cool with you. Right. It's actually important for you to maintain healthy relationships with the people around you. Yeah. So... I use the example of the scripture from 2 Samuel where Nathan comes to David and tells him a parable, which I joked with my people, see, Jesus wasn't the only one. Right. But Nathan comes to David with this parable about a lamb that a poor man had and a rich man took it, basically. Yeah. And killed it and fed it to his his visitor. David gets really upset about this and Nathan... Yeah, David, David says, this is really unfair. This is really unfair. Wh- whoever and did this should be punished. Punished and... And repay fourfold. And, and Nathan goes, you are the man. You're the one. You didn't steal somebody's lamb. You stole somebody's wife. wife. And then had their husband killed. Yeah. Because uh, this is following the Bathsheba situation. It, and in the scripture, God would have given you more. Right. God had given you all these things. And God would have given you more, except you took this. And so this is going to be a problem. And God forgives you, but you're still going to have to deal with it. You're still going to have to deal with the fallout. fallout. Right? This is the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is saying... I'm going to let go of what happened in the past, but Mm -hmm. reconciliation is I'm going to heal the wounds. Right. 
which is sometimes what you need for restoration, right? For the, yeah. for the relationship to be able to return to a state of health. It might not be what it was before. It might but be different. Hopefully it'll be stronger right. if you can move through it. But it, it takes two mm-hmm. or three or four. Uh, and so it's, it's the step to say, I'm willing to be part of the healing. So I talked about um, Aziz Ansari. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aziz Ansari is one of my favorite comedians. My church knows how I feel about stand-up comedy. I think it's uh, the closest thing to preaching outside of the church you can find. And when it's done thoughtfully, as Aziz Ansari does it most of the time, uh, it's a really powerful kind of gut check, right? right? It's a it's a moral check in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but it's a gut check. And so I read Aziz Ansari's book on interpersonal relationships. I loved his his work and, you know, the shows that he's been on, but also his stand-up work. Always really appreciated his stuff. And so when he got nailed mm-hmm. in the Me Too scandal... I was a little devastated. Um, I didn't read the stories about it. I just couldn't, yeah. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> it's mm-hmm, just, it was mm-hmm. a little too close to home. And so I was a little, you know, I was, I was really disappointed. Right. Uh, that somebody that seemed enlightened, that somebody who identified as a feminist, that somebody who cared about human rights would do something mm-hmm, bad. Mm-hmm. Reading about it now, it's clear that there's some controversy about whether or not it was quote unquote that bad. I'm not interested in that bad in whether how how people decide to judge it. I wasn't there, but he just released a new stand-up special, and I was every time we turn on the every time we every turn time on I Netflix. turn on the TV, Aziz Ansari's got a new stand-up special, and it's just like I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can watch it. And finally, uh, on Saturday night, I watched it, mm-hmm. and I was really glad I did because Aziz Ansari demonstrated what this can look like. Mm. So the first thing that he did was he said, here's how I feel about it. Because he hasn't been public about that. Mm-hmm. Here's how I feel about what happened. And he didn't say, that person was wrong and they made it up. And da, da, da. He didn't get defensive. He said, I was humiliated. I was embarrassed. I was terrified. I was looking at a future where I wasn't going to be able to do the thing that I love to do most in the world. And I felt terrible that I made somebody feel mm-hmm. so terrible. So that's different than, I'm sorry you feel that way. Right. Right. It's, it's saying, taking ownership of... I made somebody feel that way. Right. And I'm sorry about that. So he starts off a stand-up special, not with jokes, not with funny mm-hmm. stories, but with this, let me just come clean about this. This is where I am. Through the next few minutes, he sort of says, you know, and, and I've, I've done some work and I've talked to a lot of people about how I can be better at this and uh, talked to a lot of female friends, talked to a lot of male friends. I'm sure talk to professionals. Mm-hmm. But one of his male friends said, you know, when this thing happened to you, I immediately thought back to every date I've mm. ever been on. Yeah. And you know, there are some things that I've said and done on dates that I would never say and do now. Right. Among other things, what this scandal for him has done was help to start some conversations among the people who know about him or mm-hmm. know him about, well, how can we do this? How can we do better? Yeah. Right. How can we actually live in a better way? Right. Well, and how so can we this do is, the kind of work we're talking about? This right? is exactly what we're talking about. Right? Recognizing that we can do, we can do better. And so um, he says, you know, I'm really glad I've had these conversations because if something that awful had to happen, something good can come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. hope more people have these conversations. He says 50 years from now, the best case scenario is that we will all look back at 2019 and say, we can't believe we still thought those things. Right. Right. Because the best case scenario is we keep growing. Right. The best case scenario is we're able to, uh, to realize that, that we can be better. Yeah. 
instead of being defensive about what we were like before, we can say, no, let's change. Yeah. And so I really appreciated him saying that because I said, think back 50 years and what was going on in the world. And we talked about the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and the women's right movement, uh, women's lib and all of those things. And we said, isn't it great that the things that we used to think were normal, we now know can be harmful and mm-hmm. we don't do those things anymore. Mm-hmm. This is exactly where we are, right? right? This is making a list of the ways that the things that we have done have been harmful so that we can do better better. definitely so appreciated that was really glad i watched that special yeah yeah um it's it's actually really good there's language of course i always tell my congregation i don't want your tender ears to be shocked Shocked. um (laughs) at the things that i think are funny but uh, but but there it is (laughs) and the thing that i really appreciate about what richard Rohr said in the book was aziz ansari got slapped with this publicly all at once Right. right. He says, God reveals these things to us gradually so mm. that we have a chance to absorb them. Right. Um, I, I have a couple of friends who have been going through some of this growth stuff recently. Mm-hmm. And one of them said, it just feels like as soon as I figure out something I've done wrong, I immediately see three other things that I've done wrong. <laughs> and it and it just feels like piling on. Like, yeah, like there's no end. Like there's no end. And like you're constantly feeling criticized and you're constantly feeling beat up and Uh, even men in my congregation who, when the Me Too thing happened, said, how do I interact with women? Right. And I was like, that's exactly the question you should be asking. Right. But God reveals these things to us gradually so that we can absorb them, not so that we feel piled on. Right. Right. So that we can say, okay, I can take that in. Yep. Then I can take the next thing in. Because when we get hit with something all at once, we tend to be defensive. Oh, yeah. That's where like the action part of this step is so important. It's that becoming, Mm -hmm. the becoming willing, become willing. Um, Because I think sometimes we have this expectation of ourselves and of others that once you realize something, you have to fix it right now. Yeah. And what this step reminds us is that sometimes we're stuck in a pattern that we have to go and analyze and figure out and change and do that, do every other step on (laughs) before we can get to that willing place. Before we can let our hearts soften up enough. Yeah. You know, to, to even to go there. Because we are stubborn little beings. We, yeah, we tend to be pretty stubborn. Yeah. No, right. I like that. And then I talked about, um, so you talked about Nathan and David. I talked about Romans 2.1. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a youth group when I was first starting out in ministry about 2005, 2006. So Alan Kane, Tom Hugh. Hi, guys. How's it going? <laughs> um, these guys were wonderful. In the youth group, there was a small youth group, about six or seven kids. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we would do is I would share a scripture I'd have them read it, and then I'd have them rewrite it. Right. And (laughs) one of the things that they asked about was, were the basher scriptures, the scriptures that people use to condemn gay people? And can we talk about those? Absolutely. So we talked about Romans 126. And then I said, but we're not going to stop reading there. Right. We're going to keep reading because Paul has a bigger point. Well, and because I think we have to say this again. Mm -hmm. I, I think we've said it before, but I say it all the time in my Bible study. Remember, these numbers are arbitrary. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so it's not whoever, like things actually end at the end of chapter one what, and begin right. in chapter two. Right. And that, that sometimes we have put barriers where there shouldn't be barriers. Exactly. Where we should be seeing things in their wholeness. And this is a prime example One of example those examples. Of so if you just read past the end of chapter one of Romans, which is one of the Basher scriptures, mm-hmm. you get to Romans 2, 1, which my kids rewrote in this way. He who judgeth sucketh. <laughs> Which I think is great. So what Paul is trying to do in the book of Romans is he's trying to write this treatise about why people should trust in Jesus. Right. 
And so he starts off with, we all need to, because we all fall short. I said, Mm -hmm. does anybody want to argue with that premise? But in order for Paul to drive his point home, he listed off the most common sins in the kingdom. Right. And he categorized them because he's Paul. And so there were like financial sins and sexual sins and interpersonal Mm -hmm. sins, all these other kinds of sins. And the word that gets translated now is homosexuality, which is a term that didn't really come along until the 1800s in psychology. Uh, But we've sort of anachronistically stuck it in there. Right. It's a word that only Paul has used in the written record, and we have no idea what it means. Right. It gets translated man lying. It's between a list of sexual and financial sins. And we know that one of the common practices back in the day was um, that men would purchase boys Mm. and use them for their own sexual nefarious purposes, which is not the same Mm -hmm. as a consensual relationship between two adults. We don't know what man lying means. We don't know what this word means. We do know that it has been used to condemn people. But if you just keep reading, you get to this place where it says, and if you condemn anybody for any of these things, you're just Just as bad bad. because it takes one to know one, people. Mm -hmm. The idea is not that those people over there sin. The idea is we all sin. Yep. And we're all being transformed by the power and the grace of Christ. So we talked about uh, Romans 2.1 and the church's role in condemning people that has been so harmful. Yeah. I said, maybe it's comfortable for us to think like, oh, but we're a progressive church. We love everybody. It's not our problem. It is our problem. It is our problem. Because it's harm that has been caused in the name of Jesus, in the name of church, and recently in the name of the United Methodist Church. And we have to own that. It's why it's really important for us to do the work of healing, right? To become willing to show up in other places and say, we can do better. Yeah. And so that, so pride's coming up. So we talked about why it's important to show up at the pride parade or to help out with, with the pride booth so that we can move away from this defensiveness and into a place of, yeah, you know what? The church has done it wrong Yep. and we're going to do better. We believe that God's love is big enough for everybody. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked that he said was, Amazing grace is not about avoiding honest human relationship. Oh, yeah. I thought that was a really powerful way he said that, that it's actually about a way to, uh, um, but to redo them. To, to redo to, human relationships, relationships in a more honest way that liberates all everybody. Yeah. So it's not about saying, I'm good with God, so it doesn't matter how everybody else feels. Right. It's about well, saying, you know what? I'm, I'm in a place where I can say I have made mistakes. I have done things wrong. Yeah. And I'm willing to do better. Right. Our author has been talking about, uh, we've and we've been talking a lot about sort of the economy of grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of switches in this chap, in this, at this step to the, um, the economy of satisfaction. Like oh. the idea that even as we experience grace and mercy, we still have to deal with this stuff. The fallout. Right? The fallout. The consequences. The consequences, right? When we, we enter that economy, we act from our own brokenness mm-hmm. and our own places of pain because we can remember those places of pain. Yeah. And that, that that's important that we never go into this thinking we have all the answers, right? but that we go into it out of our own brokenness. And, and, and that helps us stay in that posture of listening to one another, of actually hearing one another mm-hmm. um, versus I have made up my mind. Yeah. It helps us to remain humble. Yeah. Uh, Rob Bell does a really great NUMA video about this called Lump Mm -hmm. uh, that I share with the confirmation kids when we do confirmation class about his son who stole a ball from a kid in his class and 
before the kid has the confidence to make it right, mm-hmm. he needs to know that he's still loved, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he's... So mm-hmm. we've done that, right? First seven steps are like, you're still loved. Yeah, there's some garbage. You're still loved. loved. And now is the time when we're starting to go, okay, yeah. I still have to return the ball that I stole. I still have to apologize to the people that I hurt. Mm-hmm. I still have to make this right. So just because we experience forgiveness doesn't mean we don't still we're have done. to do the yeah. work of exactly. reconciliation. Um, one of the things that Richard Rohr mentioned was a book by Edward Tick called War and the Soul about mm-hmm. um, Vietnam veterans oh, yeah. who return home with PTSD. And one of the things that they've found to be very healing for them is to go back to Vietnam and to work in some kind of a mission social service, service. setting. Uh, they found that this is helpful because whether or not you're in charge of the war, whether or not you're making decisions about what's going on, you're in it. Right. You're part of the mechanism that mm-hmm. is doing harm. And so to give people an opportunity to go back and do good is is actually quite healing for them and for the whole community. And so there's a woman in our church named Sheila Lynn who was the flight attendant on those flights that took soldiers back oh. and forth to Vietnam. Mm. And she, uh, so she got to see these guys when they were at their worst, when they were leaving. Mm. Um, she got to see these guys when they were terrified on their way in. And now she goes back with them to Vietnam and does this work with them oh, to be wow. part of the healing. And so I told people, if you want to know what this looks like, Sheila's got stories. Sheila's <laughs> Go got talk story. to Sheila. The other piece of this I think we haven't touched on is how when we, the, 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 it's very precise that we are making a list of people we have hurt mm-hmm. and not a list of people who have hurt us. Yes. And I think... <laughs> Especially in our culture, especially we tend to to default to I'm the one being taken advantage of. I, saying this, I didn't say this yesterday, but like I remember I had a boss once who was always ready for people to take advantage of her. Mm. Right. So like her default was that like somebody's the take identity of victim. The identity of victim. Right. And I think one of the ways that this work releases us is it releases us from, frees us from, uh, liberates us from. The idea that we are constantly a victim. Yeah. You know, just as gratitude transforms our life, understanding that we are a part of hurting others Mm -hmm. and that we need to be in the work of redeeming that. Yeah. It doesn't mean we go and hurt people on purpose so we can redeem it, obviously. Yeah. But just naturally that we are, that transforms our view of the world. Yeah. This is not a guiltectomy. This is not a guiltectomy. This is to free ourselves and to free others from all of that. Yeah. So there was an article that was released this weekend that I really appreciated about how power changes Mm, us. mm -hmm. And, you know, we're people of privilege. We live in the United States. Most of us are educated, have a job, have some stability, friends, have a car, right? If you have a car, you're part of the top 8% of wealthy people globally, right? And this is about how power affects our ability to do this work. Yeah. So it says the historian Henry Adams was being metaphorical and not medical when he described power as, quote, a sort of tumor that ends by killing the victim's sympathies. Mm. But that's not far from where Dasher Keltner, a psychology professor at UC Berkeley, ended up after years of lab and field experiments. Subjects under the influence of power, he found in studies spanning two decades, acted as if they had suffered a traumatic brain injury, becoming more impulsive, less risk-aware, and crucially, less adept at seeing things from other people's point of view. One of the people in my 815 service who I love and adore and who I find very funny 
mumbled a certain politician's name under her breath mm-hmm. when I read that. And I said, lest we forget what Romans 2.1 says, <laughs> he who judgeth sucketh. It's important for us to remember, like, no, we, we're all in a place of privilege. It's important yeah. for all of us to work on, on listening to the people around us and being sensitive to the ways that we affect the world. Amen. Amen. So thanks for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate, perhaps you've had an experience with power, shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com or catch us on Facebook. Scripture for this podcast will be linked on our website. And the music theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. The end of every service, uh, we tend to give a blessing. The priest gives a blessing to the congregation to remind them that they are already as loved as they can absolutely be. There is nothing we can do that will make God love us less. There is nothing we can do that will make God love us less. Our work is to make sure that we are also entering into healthy, loving relationships with the people around us. And so may you have the courage, may you have the courage to love the people around you, to listen to their hurts and to be willing to do better. Uh, Even if you don't think they deserve it, because God thinks they do. Amen. Amen.